0: This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. Hey, thank you so much for being here. I am excited to have you back. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. If you are a long-time listener, it hasn't been that long. It's 13 episodes, but I appreciate you being here and coming back. I want to start out by saying it is the start of February at the time of this recording, the month of love and hearts and my birthday. And at the risk of sounding so cliche, I want to take the next few episodes of this podcast and talk about nutrition and heart health. I know, I know, it's so kind of basic to be like, oh, heart health and nutrition in February and whatever, but it's important. We all have heard about heart healthy diets and low sodium and all of that when it comes to taking care of our hearts. But what does that really mean? And is the information that we've been told even accurate? A little bit of a backstory to this topic, as you may or may not know, I have spent quite a few years studying nutrition, I have a master's degree in it, and I'm continuing my education in a clinical nutrition doctoral program. If there was a degree after a doctoral program, I would probably sign up for that too. Because to me, nutrition is the most important thing when it comes to our health. And the science and research around what to eat, when to eat, how to eat is constantly changing. And I love it. If you don't love keeping up on it, That's okay. That's what I'm for. That's why I'm here. The particular doctoral program that I chose does not follow suit with mainstream thinking. Now, I say that and I don't mean to make it sound like it's grooming us to be conspiracy theorists or anything like that. What I'm saying is it's teaching us to question what we've been considering the norm and looking at it from all angles based on evidence-based research and critical thinking. What I want to do is bring some of those topics to you so that you can start looking at common health issues from a different perspective. Now, you may be asking yourself, why would I want to look at common health issues from a different perspective? Well, my dear friend, you could consider looking at things from a different perspective because despite the fact that we have decades of research and medical trials and prescription medication advances, our population is still incredibly sick diseased, and now we're raising the next generation to be even sicker. So when something isn't working, I think it's a good idea to come at it from a different perspective. So what I want to talk about today is hypertension or high blood pressure. I did an episode, I think it was three or four, something like that around blood pressure and sugar. It was actually one of the most downloaded episodes. So if you haven't listened to that, add that to your list to listen to. And that tells me that it's important to you. Sugar is one of those things that doctors don't really discuss when it comes to controlling blood pressure. Usually they talk about controlling sodium. So I did a whole episode on it and why we need to be paying more attention to it. And again, a different perspective and challenging what we usually hear. So go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to that yet. So high blood pressure. I want to also preface this by saying I'm not a cardiologist. I'm not a medical doctor. My role is not to tell you to stop taking medication or stop seeing your doctor. Please don't do these. These don't, that that's not my goal here. What I want for you is to also include nutrition in your wellness plans. A nutritionist is meant to be a part of the care team, not the only person to listen to. Now, I did a search in the National Institute of Health's research database for high blood pressure and nutrition. So that was my search terms, high blood pressure and nutrition. And do you know how many studies and articles came up? 24,557. That's an enormous amount of research being done. And for good reason, according to the CDC, nearly half of US adults or around 116 million people have a blood pressure that's considered stage one hypertension, which under their terms is anything 130s, over 80s, kind of in that range. And around 37 million adults in the US have a blood pressure reading considered stage 2 hypertension, which is 140 or over 90 or above. And side note, if you're saying, I don't have high blood pressure, I'm taking blood pressure medication. You still have high blood pressure, my friend. It's just considered controlled with medication at that point. There's a difference. If the medication disappeared, you would have high blood pressure again. So I just wanted to clarify that. Now, I don't wanna go over the facts about high blood pressure and who's more likely to have it because we did that in episode three or four, whatever that was, but I will link the CDC's fact sheet around hypertension in the show notes if you're interested in reading through that. What I wanna focus on today is how nutrition has been proven to be equally, if not slightly more effective in treating or reversing high blood pressure as opposed to medication. I know that's a bold statement, but the research is out there. Now again, If you are taking blood pressure medication, this is not your green light to abruptly stop taking it. You need to talk with your doctor. There can be some nasty and dangerous side effects when medications are abruptly stopped. So please talk with your doctor before you change anything to your medication regimen. Do you promise me that you will talk to your doctor? I am taking that silence as a yes. That is binding. Okay. Now that we've agreed that you won't abruptly stop taking any medication, let's focus on nutrition. Entire diets and eating patterns have been studied, as well as single nutrients and herbs all around blood pressure. The data is overwhelming. 24,000 studies are being done on different things. To some, that may be a bad thing. But to me, that's hopeful. That means that you have a lot of options. As you know, I'm a firm believer that nutrition needs to be individual. So if one thing doesn't work, you can try another thing, very similar to medication. A lot of times if a medication isn't having the intended effect, there's another one to try. Same thing with nutrition protocols, except far less damaging side effects, but that's me being biased. So what are some natural ways to lower your blood pressure? Well, because blood pressure has so many influencers, let's start with some of the basics first. Now, not nutrition related, but number one would be exercise. Consistent activity that raises your heart rate for an extended period of time is exercise, also known as cardio. But for those of you who just rolled your eyes because you hate cardio, there's good news. Doing shorter bursts of more intense activities, also known as high intensity interval training or HIIT training can be done in less time. And it has an amazing impact on heart health. I know I just sounded like a commercial, but there's for good reason. One of my professors has extensively studied HIIT training specifically for cardio and metabolic syndrome and reversal, uh, and, and it has had fantastic results. I have to say, I am a huge fan of HIIT workouts. The amount of adaptation you can see in a short amount of time is amazing. Personally speaking, again, this is just me. I use HIIT training and I did after each one of my four kids were born. And it took me from super tired, kind of weak feeling postpartum shape to stronger, leaner, more energized in a relatively short amount of time. When I did my first workout after I got clearance from the OB uh, postpartum, I could barely jog like a half a mile And I used to be a decent runner, but I could barely jog half a mile. I mean, I just went through labor and pregnancy and all of that. I was not in a good quality shape. I was not feeling great within a few weeks of HIIT training, specific workouts that I designed to do HIIT training for, I was then able to run over a mile at my pre-pregnancy pace and actually slightly even faster. I felt amazing. Now this is just my experience. Obviously that's not scientific, but if you want to go down a research rabbit hole, look into benefits of HIT training, H-I-I-T training. Also, I wanna point out that you don't have to sprint or run or even jog to do HIIT training. Intensity is subjective based on your current physiology. If walking at a 2.0 pace is really intense for you, that's where you start. That's your intensity. You push up to that intensity and you scale back down. And you only want to be doing these types of workouts like two to three times a week, maybe even one to two in the beginning when you start out. The point is a stronger heart muscle is more efficient. So get your heart strong. Look into HIIT workouts. If you have questions on this, let me know. Okay, number two, kind of natural ways to help with blood pressure. Stress, I know, we've heard it a million times. When you are stressed, you release stress hormones. Adrenaline, cortisol, these also impact your insulin, also a hormone. All of these hormones in the short-term are beneficial. We've kind of talked about that in previous episodes. In the long-term though, like in the case of people who are chronically stressed or anxious, these hormones are highly inflammatory. Inflammation within the body, specifically the blood vessels, leads to damage, leads to high blood pressure, leads to cardiovascular issues like stroke, high cholesterol, heart attacks, etc. So when people say stress is a killer, it truly is. We will do an episode in the future around gut health and mood as it relates to stress. But for now, if you are worried about having blood pressure issues... Well, first of all, stop worrying because it's causing you stress, which can lead to high blood pressure. But find the ways to lower stress that work for you. It doesn't always have to be bubble baths and meditation. Save a bunch of funny YouTube videos to watch or look at pictures of things you enjoy. Do some guided imagery and and envision yourself in a calm and relaxing, you know, happy place. You know, there's there's a lot to say about finding your happy place and just really thinking about it doing these things regularly and consistently, uh, maybe make a date with yourself to do these daily if you can. It can help to lower those stress hormones and inflammation. even temporarily helps to relieve that that those hormones and that inflammation. Okay, number three. Nutrition, of course, one of the most studied diets for high blood pressure is the DASH diet. I talked a little bit about that in the previous episode. Also, the Mediterranean diet is a close second. So you've probably heard of both of these. What I want to dive further into is why these diets work so well so that you understand, even if you don't follow these to a T, you can still benefit from implementing the elements that are effective for controlling your blood pressure. So both of these diets are high in healthy fats, which, as we've talked about, helps to lower inflammation and and helps absorb essential fat soluble vitamins like vitamin D and E and A, and which are all uh, key for cell functioning, repair and restoration. Both of these diets are also low in processed foods. Processed foods like store-bought baked goods, chips, fried foods, desserts, they all have a lot of sugar and a lot of salt. So lowering these leads to lower blood pressure, right? Well, let's explore that for a second. I agree that we as humans don't need sugar. To clarify, we don't need chemically processed sugar. We need glucose for our cells, which we get by breaking down carbohydrates from foods. We can even make our own glucose if we don't get any from foods. We don't need processed added sugar. It's not essential. As we've talked a lot about, this leads to inflammation, hormone imbalances, and chronic conditions. Sugars that are naturally occurring in fruits and veggies, though, have mother nature's protective features added in as well to ensure that we don't basically poison ourselves with sugar. Things like fiber, electrolytes, supportive enzymes, all come packed in fruits and veggies to help us utilize what we need and flush out what we don't. You don't get that from a cookie, unfortunately. So the question may be, what about salt? We've been told by all the health institutions to lower salt if we have high blood pressure or keep salt under 1,500 milligrams or 2,300 milligrams daily to reduce the risk of heart disease. Like sugar, though, all salts aren't created equal. First of all, our bodies need salt. It is one of our electrolytes. It helps with nerve activity, cell functioning, including heart cell functioning, fluid regulation, and so many more things. It is essential. There is a big difference, though, between table salts and naturally occurring salts, very similar to sugar, right? Table salt is refined. It's made in a lab or a factory. It takes sodium chloride and strips it of its essential and supportive minerals and sometimes adds in things like uh, chemicals and anti-caking agents and and things like that. It's low in other nutrients and highly concentrated in, as you can imagine, sodium. So if you look at Himalayan salt or Celtic sea salt, these two options have supportive elements such as calcium, potassium, magnesium, and usually they're slightly lower in the amounts of concentrated sodium. These other elements work synergistically or supportive with sodium. So sodium, calcium, potassium, chloride, phosphate, magnesium are all electrolytes. I won't test you on that. You don't need to remember that, but just know that they are all electrolytes. These are all needed to maintain fluid balance, cell metabolism, and and basically keep you alive. When you are low in these, you will see signs like cramping or heart palpitations, um, dizziness, confusion, um, even acid balance problems in the body. You generally feel horrible and you see this a lot with athletes because they've sweated a lot and a lot of those are, are uh, released in our sweat. And then what do they do? They replace it with water, which dilutes it even more. Um, so why, if sodium is extremely important in our body, are we recommended to get less and less amounts to prevent disease? Wouldn't it make more sense? instead of throwing out an arbitrary number of milligrams to restrict down to, if it makes more sense to instead reduce the refined sources and focus on the naturally occurring sources of sodium, which also have the supportive nutrients. We have become so afraid of sodium that it even makes us avoid certain beneficial foods. Most vegetables have sodium as well. Cauliflower, broccoli, beets, celery, all are considered sodium rich, what else do they have? They have water. They have magnesium. They have naturally occurring nitrates that our body converts to nitric oxide, which is actually a vasodilator or helps open the blood vessels. Super beneficial for high blood pressure and cardiac health. Garlic, onions, ginger also contain enzymes and components that help to thin the blood. Cucumber and and veggies that have a higher water content help to flush excess fluids and sodiums out of the body. It's like a natural check and balance system. If the sodium levels are too high or the body has used what it needs in that moment, it flushes it out. But if we're not drinking enough water or getting enough foods that have have water in them or um, other electrolytes in them, such as the fruits and veggies, there can be a buildup. There can be imbalance. Imbalance leads to disease. Bottom line, eat more veggies. Okay, so that's kind of a lot thrown at you, so let's recap real quick. All right, number one, nutrition, in my opinion, needs to be thought of as the first line of defense when it comes to high blood pressure. I mean, really any condition, but in this case, we're talking about blood pressure. You eat three to five or more times a day, more if you count how many times you also drink something. Each of these moments is a chance for you to support your body or work against it. And I'm not saying that you need to eat perfectly. Nobody does. I don't. Nobody does. I'm saying, though, with that many daily opportunities to impact your outcome, we would be missing a huge part of the puzzle if we didn't include that in anyone's care plan. And looking deeper than just eat less than 1,500 milligrams of sodium, to me, that's the equivalent of somebody telling you to eat 1,200 calories. And you use up all those calories eating like a greasy burger and fries and a milkshake. We need to look deeper. We need to look at quality, and we need to take an individual approach when it comes to nutrition. Which I want to—I I want to throw something out there that I am in complete support of. Doctors—they are overworked. They're seeing hundreds of people a day. They don't have the time necessarily to do the quality. Uh, education that maybe they really want to do with patients. And that is when you can have somebody else on your team helping you with some of that. Okay, number two, many things impact blood pressure aside from nutrition. Exercise. We talked about HIIT training, stress, getting that under control. There are many things. Sleep, which we didn't even talk about. Herbs can be a big part of someone's blood pressure management plan. I, I won't get into herbs on this episode. But there are a lot of options like celery seed extract, olive leaf, garlic powders. There's so many. But side note, though, I'm not going to talk about these herbs because they have side effects and contraindications and need to be considered on an individual basis. And then number three, we talked about sodium quality. You don't need to be afraid of sodium, but you need to be particular about what kind of sodium you use and what's used in your food. Himalayan salt, kosher salt, Celtic sea salt. Celtic sea salt is my favorite. It's gray and it has less sodium content, but higher content in calcium, magnesium, and other supportive minerals. It tastes awesome. I promise you you won't even tell the difference. Now, if you are wondering where in the world to start with all of this, start small. Start by adding in more vegetables. Start by including one in your dinner meal. If you're already doing that, add a second. Or at a smoothie full of veggies and proteins. I have that ultimate smoothie guide that you can grab. It's only seven bucks, but it walks you through how to make a balanced smoothie, what to include. And and it has over 20 recipes that you can try out. I'll link it in the show notes if you want to grab that. Or you can also find it on my Food Factor Nutrition website. I hope you've enjoyed Thinking a little bit outside the box when it comes to high blood pressure management. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. And if you know someone who may need to hear this information, I'd love it if you could share this episode with them so that they can get answers and get started on a more nutrient supportive way of eating. I appreciate you all so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye.